Hey there, Super Sober Heroes. It's your host, Sober Steve, the podcast guy. And before we jump into today's episode, I want to take a brief moment to ask for your help to shape the future of gay A. Over the years, this podcast has grown and evolved as I've grown in my sobriety. And recently, I've been investing wild amounts of time, money, and energy to find ways to level up this podcast so it can get heard by the people who need to hear it. I want to take a brief moment to check in with all of you, though, to see what you love about the current show and what could be better as I'm growing and moving forward. In the show notes is a three to five minute survey for you to complete. I kindly ask that you pause this episode and take the time to complete it if you haven't already. You are kind enough to give me 20 to 40 minutes of your time each week when you listen to these episodes, and I want to make sure it's time well spent. So please let your voice be heard. Thanks, SoberPod, and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Gay A, a podcast about sobriety for the LGBT plus community and our allies. I'm your host, Steve Bennett-Martin. I am an alcoholic, and I am grateful for the great relationship I have with my supervisor at work. As of this recording, I am 272 days sober, and today we're welcoming a guest to share their experience, wisdom, and hope with you. Welcome to the show, Nay. Hi, thank you so much. Thank you for being here. And can you start with introducing yourself to the listeners? Absolutely. So uh, my name is Renee or Nay. That's a nickname I picked up along the way. My pronouns are she, her. I'm 38 and I am a personal development and life coach. I'm also a domestic violence survivor, which is what got me started in the whole personal development life coach thing. I want to help other people move through that in their life. And I also have, I have OCD, anxiety, CPTSD, fibromyalgia. Like I have a whole line of medical issues and things that go on. And I think that has led a lot into my whole path and the things that I, I've walked through and been through. Polyamorous, I'm married. I am a stepmom to an amazing kiddo. And I really, I don't like labels very much. So I identify really like gender and sexuality. Like I just identify as a nay who does nay things is what I say. But, you know, I just, I think I had to actually look up how long I had been sober because I don't keep track. It's actually how I keep myself on the path is I don't keep track. I don't think Mm -hmm. about it. So I looked it up today. It's 2,401 days. Wow. Holy fuck. That's a lot. <laughs> it is. And I, you know, I didn't like, I always think it's, oh, you know, it's like seven ish years. Like I, I, I didn't ever really stop and think until today when I looked it up and I was like, oh my goodness, that's a long time. Yeah. Well, why don't we to get to know you better then jump right into what your journey with alcohol and addiction was like. Right. So, um, I think I have been drinking pretty much as long as I can remember. I grew up with a family, extended family, that it was not uncommon to like put something in a sippy cup for the kids and things like that. Like it was just life, you know, it was just how things were done the way I was growing up. So it wasn't anything new to me. And I drank pretty heavily from the time I was about 14 on. And at 17, I realized I was an alcoholic. I was um, drinking and driving. I couldn't remember my junior year of high school. So about 18, or uh, from 17 to the end of 18, I decided to get sober at that point. So that was my first time getting sober. But backtracking at 14, I was using, you know, sex to get cigarettes and alcohol and pot. And I was also using it to get paid to babysit. You know, there was a couple of people I babysat for. 
that would pay me with alcohol or cigarettes or a couple joints. So, you know, even at 14, like that's how I was already progressing into things and not even realizing the path that I was walking down. And, you know, I was raised by a pretty fairly religious family and they were a very open family. And I think they did the best they could with what they had, but I, (laughs) I wasn't an easy kid. And, I don't think they were really prepared for everything that was going to come with all of that. So I just delved you know, even further into it because I never really felt comfortable in my own skin with my family. I never had any basis of like what it was to not be a normal cishet person and to not have that normal expectancy of what your life should be. And I didn't realize that that's why I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. I just knew I never felt comfortable and I never felt accepted. And that just pushed me even further into, you know, trying to find a way to escape or a way to fit in. So things got really bad for me when I met my first husband, when I was 18, I started drinking again at that point. So that ended that small little streak of sobriety, started drinking again, and then was diagnosed with endometriosis and was given opiates to deal with the pain from that. And in that process, I realized as the abuse in my marriage got worse, that the opiates really kind of helped me like drift away and not have to deal with it and not have to think about it. So (sighs) You know, I was asking for more and telling the doctors that the pain was bad. And in my mind, it wasn't, you know, it it wasn't that I was seeking things. It was, you know, I would stub my toe and, oh, I need to go take a Vicodin or I turned the wrong way and, you know, got a little crick in my neck and, oh, I better go, you know, get a Percocet or something like And in my mind, that's, I needed them for that reason. Like in my mind, the pain was that bad and I needed the pills for that. And I didn't realize until getting sober and looking back that, no, that's how I like was dealing with and hiding from the abuse and how bad my marriage was. And when we would go out to party, like I would pregame with the pills so that I would be like able to dance and not be in pain on the dance floor so I'd pregame with the pills and we'd hit the bar all night. And then I'd have a different set of pills to go to sleep when we got home. And I think about that now. And I don't know how I never ended up like you know, ODing because like the amount of stuff I was taking and not even knowing how they interacted and shouldn't have been combined. Like it just is mind blowing to me. And also at that time I was bouncing from job to job. Like I, I couldn't keep a job. And I had this like whole idea that it was everybody else's fault, but mine that I couldn't keep these jobs or that the jobs were too hard or that it was my disabilities that were getting in the way of me being able to keep a long-term job. And that wasn't the case. It was that, you know, I, couldn't stay sober enough to stay awake long enough to function. And, you know, being sober now, I look back and I like, I feel amazing physically now, even with all of these things that I have going on with my health. And it's, I've held the same job for almost, you know, three years now. And I think I never did three months was an amazing thing when I was using and blaming it on my disabilities, but those disabilities haven't gone anywhere. You know, the only difference is that I got sober. So yeah, I look back on that and it's just kind of the whole 
the whole way I see life then is very different now looking back on it. But, you know, I didn't, like I said, I didn't even realize that I had a problem until I quit. And also I didn't even realize I was being abused in my marriage until I left the marriage. So I think that's one of those things that what I always try to get out there and a lot of why I wanted to get on here and speak with you and for your listeners is just that you don't realize how bad things are when you're in it. And it's really, really hard to see that. And it wasn't until I was speaking with someone at a domestic violence shelter at the prompting of a friend after I had left my husband that she said, no, honey, you really were abused and we're going to get you through this. And it's not okay that you lived like that as long as you did. And I just lost it because I had been hiding all of that inside for so long. I had like suddenly had that realization. Mm -hmm of what my life had been like up to that point. Yes. That was my, my my fun, exciting life with, uh, with addiction. Yeah. And if you can go back in time and talk to yourself when you were in in like the worst throes of your addiction, what would you tell yourself? I, I would tell me that he is never going to change. And all of this garbage that you are putting into your body to make it better or make it easier to live with is not going to improve. And this is going to be your life. And that there is this whole other community and whole other family on the side of this that's just waiting for you to come out of this. And once you get there, you are going to be amazed with the life that you get to live. Yeah. And tell us more about the amazing life you have now and the positive changes in your life, in your sobriety. (laughs) The positive things in my life. I, I can't even begin to tell you how much the last seven years have changed and how great things have been. My, I got divorced the day I got sober. So that, or I, I left my ex-husband the day I got sober and uh, that's kind of how I keep track of remembering the, the day. So I look back on that and from that, I have built a new relationship and a new marriage and I'm a stepmom, as I said, to a great kid. But when I left, I was homeless. I had hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt. I had a rundown truck that didn't get me anywhere. You know, I had absolutely nothing. And now I have an amazing day job. Plus I run my own, my own business working with other people in the personal development and healing through all of that, you know, being married, being a step parent and working with this great community that I have found, you know, on the other side of this. So sobriety has been an amazing world. Yes, I certainly have enjoyed my sobriety life much more these past, you know, almost nine months than I can remember the last years and years of my life. Yeah, yeah. It makes such a difference that I didn't even realize. Yeah. And how do you feel your, I would normally say sexuality or gender identity, but your nayness, <laughs> how, how would you say your nayness played a role in your addiction and then your recovery? I love it. I love how you worded that. That's awesome. You know, I think really that that was everything. I said that was the root of starting everything was, you know, not knowing that there were people out there that would accept me for me. So I kept it so bottled up, you know, and 
I'm going to, I'm going to preface this because my parents do listen and see everything I do. They read all my blogs. So when mom and dad hear this, I love you. And I know you love me. And I know you did the best of what you could with what you had, but I never felt like I fit in anywhere. And I never felt like I could be authentic anywhere. And I didn't know that there was a name for being attracted to all people and that that was okay. And I didn't know that I could be in love with more than one person. And I didn't have to have, you know, the husband and the 2.5 kids and the dog and the white picket fence. Like that was what I thought I had to have. And I just always felt like, you know, I just, I just didn't fit. And I, the, the not being able to be authentic with me and with the people around me really just started everything. And I, one of the things that sticks out the most in my mind, and that's why I apologize to my parents is when I was testing the waters of coming out to them. And at the time it was coming out as bi, because even then, like that was all I knew. I didn't know the rest of this whole spectrum of a world existed. And my dad made a comment of, oh, you're one of those. And I never brought it up again. Even to this day, I don't, I I will talk about girlfriends or other people that we love or that we're with, but I, even to this day, I don't directly discuss it with my family. So it's, I think it has had a, a very huge impact in what created the, the whole, almost the whole path that I walked. Yeah. And it, I, I've found it at least interesting, like how so many times, you know, our sexuality or gender identity is like at the root cause of our, you know, disease. But then as we get sober, we find these like new layers to those as well. And so, you know, what's it been like, you know, discovering yourself in your recovery? it's been amazing. Like I just, I don't even know how to describe it is my current husband is so open and supportive to letting me explore me and letting me figure me out. And, you know, the community of friends that I have and, you know, starting, you know, with, I went to a UU church for the first time and that was actually when I was married to my first husband, it actually caused an argument. And one of, you know, one of the worst arguments we had because he was so against religion. And so I was very scared to bring it up to my, my current husband. And when I did, he was so supportive and said, go do that, go, you know, enjoy it. And when I did, I found this amazing group of people of all walks of life, of all identities and all, you know, that were welcoming with open arms and actually truly authentically loved the authentic person that walked in those doors. And it didn't matter who you were. And that just opened up this whole world of not only being able to accept myself, but then learning how to accept other people and allowing me to be that person you know, that parent to my stepkid and, you know, just authenticity, like the really like being able to be open and sober and confident in who I am just allows me to have that authentic self. Yeah. And that's beautiful. Now, especially like working with people going through similar experiences, if you could give one piece of advice to someone who's sober, curious, or freshly sober, what would it be? I, one piece of advice, that's hard. I would say 
it's okay to get sober for someone else. I, I've heard a lot and I know I've listened to a lot of, of your podcasts and so many people that you've spoken with and that, you know, have, have gone through the steps and I never went through a program. I did it on my own. And so many people told me along the way that you can't get sober for someone else. You have to do it for you. And I would counter that. And I would say that that's okay is I got sober for my husband and his kid, because when he and I first started dating, he told me that I could not be around his kid if I was under the influence and that I was somebody he wanted in his life, but he was not going to bring me into his life if I wasn't sober. And that, that was all it took for me to really say like, okay, I mean, that's, I I want this life. So that's what I'm going to do. And in the process of that, I have learned to stay sober for myself. Yeah. But I didn't get sober for me in the beginning. So I think that would be my biggest piece of advice is just remembering you don't have to do it for you. Cause I think sometimes that's hard, especially for those of us that didn't feel like we had the worth mm-hmm. to do it. So it's it's okay to have that that other reason that you do it. Yeah, I can certainly relate to that very much. I mean, you know, I went to my first few meetings, like, because my husband was like, you need to go to meetings. And, you know, by the time I was like two or three months in and like, he made a comment like, well, you're sober for me. I was like, by that point, I was like, no, I'm like sober for me now. But like, I, I would not have been able to start the sobriety journey has, had it not been for him being like, you need to, or else dot, 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 like that got me in. And then I learned how to have that sense of self-worth that I didn't have beforehand. And then right. I was staying sober for myself. So I completely right. agree with you on that. Exactly. And what are some things that you do in your daily life to help keep yourself sober? So I, I look at Facebook memories mm-hmm. of my, it was really hard to do when I was first starting to heal from my first marriage. That so was really hard to look back on those memories. You know, a lot of Facebook posts about the things that were going on, a lot, a lot of vague booking. And I would read it now and know what that vague book was about. But reading those Facebook memories now reminds me of what life was like then and reminding myself that I don't ever want to do that. And of course, you're know, looking at my husband and my kid and the life that we built together and just knowing that the promise I made him that I know if I go back to that, I lose all of this and I wouldn't trade the last you know seven years for anything. So that's not, that's never worth it. And I won't say I've never struggled with it because I do. And I'm very open and I talk to him about that. And that's one of the other things I do is if I do feel that I'm struggling, if I do feel where I'm sitting there and going, you know, it would just be so much easier if I, you know, I, like for example, I had, for example, I had a hysterectomy last year and the doctor prescribed opiates and we went ahead and got them because we didn't know how I would feel afterwards. And we had a whole conversation with my husband and my therapist and how we would plan for it and what we would do. And I didn't need them. Thankfully, I made it through the whole surgery, whole recovery, never touched them. But we hadn't, because of COVID, had a way to safely dispose of them. So I knew they were in the house. And there were points where I would get you know, low dealing with depression and, and things. And I would tell him, you know, it would just be so much easier if I could just go grab that bottle. I really just want to go grab that bottle. 
and having the ability to be open and have that conversation with him and not have him judge me. Just have him say, you know what? I understand, but you're stronger than that. And we're not going to do it. Remember what it was like when you were doing it just makes it so much easier for me to take that craving or that desire and be able to go out and go for a walk or do something else instead and be able to, to move past it. Yeah. I completely understand and relate to that as well. I, I know that, you know, there's a certain power in just saying something out loud and feeling comfortable sharing it with someone else. Yes. Yes. Being able to speak, it makes it yeah, power. I think is that is really the best way yeah. to, to word that there really is a power to it. Yeah. Now I'm always excited for this question when I have guests that haven't been through like the, the typical programs and, you know, meetings, you know, because in there, we really love our steps, traditions, and sayings. Do you have a favorite mantra or quote that you like to live by? I do. And I love this part of your podcast. I love hearing everybody's. I love, you know, the today's release with the the quote from Pink. Like I just, it's awesome. Like I just, I love listening to all of these. So the motto of my marriage and my husband and I were friends throughout my first marriage. So I've known my, my current husband for a very long time. And as he was walking me through my divorce and walking me through getting sober and, you know, being there, everything he always told me was baby steps. Mm -hmm. And every time I would text him of, you know, I know it's better to, to get this divorce, but it hurts so much to, to grieve my marriage and he knew baby steps. It's going to feel better tomorrow or I, you know, I don't think I can stay sober today. I really, I want to go buy a bottle of something and it's, you know, baby steps, just make it through the next hour. You'll be all right. And that's, you know, how our marriage is now, even with like little things of, you know, just things that we want to do in our lives that we're just not quite there yet is we just remind each other, you know, baby steps, we're going to get there. And I really love that. I think like we were saying when we first started the podcast is when you're in it, you don't realize it, but then you look back Mm -hmm. and it's the same with the baby steps because you can take a thousand baby steps and each one of them may seem like you're not getting anywhere because it's the tiniest little step. But when you get a thousand steps ahead and you look back on those thousand steps you took it's mind boggling what you just accomplished and didn't even realize you accomplished it. Yeah. I, I love that so much. And so t- tell the listeners more about how they can find you and your work and everything you do. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I want to kind of go into how I named my business. I think since we have a little, a little bit of time to sure. do it and I'll give everybody the contact. So when I was starting my business and the personal development coaching and wanting to help people, I was brainstorming names and could not with come, I couldn't come up with anything. Like I was asking my 12 year old for ideas because I, I had nothing. Um, and my husband looked at me and he's like, well, what about something like reforged? Because you're kind of like a sword that was broken or like the edge was beaten up a little bit and you've been put in the fire and you've been reforged into something else. And that like, just like, I got chills when he said it. And I was like, that is like my whole life. It really is. I have been in the depths of hell. I have been in the fires that I have been in 
to be reforged and come out to where I am now to be able to help other people with my story. So my, my business at my website is nayreforged.com. And I have my blogs. I have blogs on there as I kind of journey through life. I talk about, you know, being a, a step parent and co-parenting and as well as, you know, touching on other, other things along the sobriety path and, you know, healing from domestic violence. I cover everything, but then it's also a, a way to get in touch with me for coaching and things. If that's, if some, some, if that is of interest to someone. And then also I'm on Instagram at nay underscore reforged. And on there is you'll, you'll get the whole world. You get pictures of my dogs on there. You get, you know, personal little quotes, you get it all. My whole world is on that, that Instagram. I think the last picture I posted, we took the dogs to the vet last night to get their nails cut. <laughs> it's a picture of the dog. Mm-hmm. So my Instagram's a whole, a whole mess of things, but. Yeah. Excellent. I'll make sure I link over to both of those in the show notes. So listeners, if you're listening, you could just like swipe up and tap on over. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the, one of the blessings you know, trying to count the blessings as we go through COVID. I think that's one of the blessings of COVID is being able to find the community that we have through the online memes and through social media. You know, I have been in touch with so many sober people through Instagram that I never, ever would have been able, you know, people like, you know, across the pond that I would have never met in my life. I'm friends with and talk to almost daily on Instagram now, which is great. And then being able to run my business and coach people through Zoom where I have, you know, this ability to coach somebody anywhere in the world instead of, you know, just in my little town and get, get that story out there and help as many people as I possibly can. So I think, I think it's great. And I would love if anybody wants to reach out, not even for coaching, like just a few, you know, ideas or want to talk about something. I I would love for anybody to be able to reach out for that. Yeah. I've loved hearing feedback from some guests where they're like, so-and-so reached out to me and thanked me for like my share on the episode. And I'm like, that person didn't even message me, but they messaged the guest, <laughs> like, which is great. I mean, I love that like these guest people identify with so much that they're just going to like jump straight to you and just say like, thank you so much, Nay, for what you did today. So I look forward to that for you. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, I don't need to hear it. it it's, important to me that I share my story because I know I lived through what I lived through to help other people with it. Excellent. So even if they just heard something that gave them the courage to stay sober or to get out of a situation that's not safe for them, that's, that's enough for me to know that I kept going and lived through what I did for a reason. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being on. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Yes. And thank you listeners for listening to another episode of Gay A. Please rate and review if you found this information helpful, since that's what helps other people find this podcast. If you're interested in sharing your story or getting involved like Nay, you can always email me at gayapodcast at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at gayapodcast. And follow us wherever you're listening right now so you get these new episodes and they come out every Monday and Thursday. Until next time, stay sober, friends.